In the Old Testament, there are a lot of stories about the Hebrew kings. And they sometimes seem very complicated when you look at them from a distance. And sometimes they can be really hard to follow. They kind of thing seems to bounce back and forth through genealogies and things of that nature. And, but I think their stories are recorded for us. And when we look closely at those stories about these kings, we will see how they can actually be instructive even today. And if you're not careful, you happen to look too closely, like I did, to a particular king named Amaziah. You'll get used to hearing that name today. You just might learn something, like maybe one of the secrets of victory. You know there's an old saying, parents know this saying, and grandparents know this saying. My parents really liked this saying, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, my parents loved that saying. It didn't always work, but they said it a lot. And then there's another saying, which is my favorite saying, learn from my mistakes. I've only made a couple. I, I average about one a year, uh, just to be in you know, full disclosure, about one a year. But you can still learn from that one mistake if, if you're paying attention. I think that last uh, saying is, is a very fitting cliche for the lives of some of the Hebrew kings. Learn from my mistakes. Especially our focal point for this morning, which is King Amaziah, you may have, has anybody ever heard the name Amaziah before, in all honesty? Okay, a couple of you have. Okay, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 25. That's in the Old Testament. Okay, just making sure we're clear. You want somebody jumping, it's not in here. Uh, it's there. And we're going to look at the secrets of victory. Our focus this morning is that victory starts with your heart. And I've talked about the heart a lot this year as we talk about the secrets of, of the Scriptures. And in the case of Amaziah, you need to understand, he was the son of Joash, who was the king of Judah. Amaziah was a man who had a good beginning and a tragic ending. And we're going to break down his life as a map. And so you'll hear me say this is Amaziah's life map. We're going to break it down into four sections. His reign, his first war... And his second war, because apparently in the Old Testament you couldn't be a good king unless you had a couple of wars in you. And then we're talking about the end of his life. And when we travel through Amaziah's life map and we retrace the routes that he chose, the places where he kind of veered off of God's way, we will see that one of the secrets of victory indeed starts with where your heart is. Now we have to remember, the word for heart that I'm using in the original language stands for the core of a person's identity. It's not, it's not your feelings, it's not that, that little flutter, it's not that part of heart, it's not the emotion side of heart. It's the core of your identity, it's that, that, the inner self, how, how you think and feel and decide. The, in the Bible, the word for heart has a much broader meaning than it does in our modern world today. The heart is that which is central to man. Okay. While we think of, of today that the heart is the seat of our emotions, the Hebrew people thought of the heart as, as the, the mind and as a person's will all pulled together. You need to keep that in mind when I say that one of the secrets of victory starts with your heart. And you need to ask yourself today, when it comes to your relationship with God, where is your heart? Where is your will? Where, where is your core in your relationship with God? Will you pray with me? Father God, we come here this morning and we open up your word and we're going to look at the life of Amaziah and we'll hopefully learn from his mistakes. We will hopefully be different as we leave here today. Lord, I pray that you will 
help us to see how we can maybe fix our heart, how we can fix our, our core and our will, and that we'll be aligned with you rather than aligned with our world or, or with other things to worship. We ask these, these things in your son's name. Amen. We're going to start where Amaziah's heart was when he first began his reign as king. And he was a young king. He started out kind of young. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. So he had a pretty good run as a king. Uh, his mother's name was Jehoiadan, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but, say that with me, not wholeheartedly. Yeah, we're going to camp out on that today. Verse 3, after the kingdom was firmly in his control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. It's an interesting way to start your rule. Okay, I heard somebody go, whoa, yeah. Verse 4, yet he did not put their children to death. Oh, well, who says chivalry is dead? <laughs> he did not put their children to death, but acted in accordance with what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the law commanded, parents shall not be put to death for the, or excuse me, children shall not be put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. He began his reign, as I said, at 25 years old. And verse 2 says uh, that Amaziah was a lot like Christians would be in the future. That's Okay, that might be a loose interpretation, all right? But you see the comparison, don't you? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Now, you're here this morning, and I am glad you're here. Are you here wholeheartedly? Are, are, you, are you all in? Where's your will? Where's your core? Are, are you here wholeheartedly? Are you here just going through the motions because someone nagged you here? Because your parents dragged you here. And listen, make no mistake, Jesus is glad you're here too. Okay, I don't want to sell this short. But are you glad you're here this morning? You see, there's danger in doing what is right in God's eyes, but only doing it half-heartedly, so to speak. Because we will never truly experience victory in Jesus with only a half-hearted investment. When you're not in, when you're not all in, when you're not in with your whole heart, with, with your whole core, with everything that you are, with your will, with who you are, when you're not all in, it, it leaves things loosely open for our own interpretations. And that's where we start to get in trouble. When you're not all in, you begin doing things half-hearted for God. You begin to justify some of the things you do that are less than average. And I'll use Amaziah, for example, because I don't want to embarrass any of you. He, he exacts justice for his father's death. And, and that was okay. There, there wasn't anything horrible about that. That was how kings did things. All right. So some men had executed his father. And, and I'll tell you this a couple times, but you can read about his father in Second uh, Chronicles 14. All right. So you'll just before that. But these guys killed his father. And he comes in. He exacts justice for his father's death. And he can even say in the way he exacted justice, he can say, I followed the law regarding justice because I didn't kill all their children. Look at how great I am. Now, he may have honored the law. But we learned last month that true victory happens when we forgive and we leave vengeance to God. I'm going to say, my personal opinion, he overstepped. That's God's to exact vengeance on. 
Let's continue to look at his life map and see some more things. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to their families to commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He then mustered those 20 years old or more and found that there were 300,000 men fit for military service, able to handle the spear and the shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for 100 talents of silver. 100 talents of silver is a lot of silver, just in case you're wondering. Truckloads, by the way. It's, it's big. It's a lot of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, and the man of God is a prophet, he said, Your majesty, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the people of Ephraim. You see, the kingdoms are split here. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to overthrow. Amaziah's first question, he said, asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? The man of God replied, the Lord can give you much more than that. So Amaziah dismissed the troops who had come to him from Ephraim and sent them home. They were furious with Judah and left for home in a great rage. Amaziah then marshaled his strength and led his army to the Valley of Salt, where he killed 10,000 men of Seir. The army of Judah also captured 10,000 men alive, took them to the top of a cliff, and threw them down so that all were dashed to pieces. Oh, young Amaziah's first war. They grow up so fast, don't they? One day they're, they're king, the next day they're exacting vengeance for their father's death, and the next thing you know they're off at war, beating up on the Adamites. Where does he begin to detour on his way to this battle? Well, the first thing he does that is less than average, if you will, is he takes a census. He counts the people. How many fighting men does he have at his disposal? He finds there's 300,000 men capable of fighting in, in his control. And then he goes out and he hires an additional 100,000 men from Israel. He now has an army of 400,000 men. Now you may be thinking, well, he's king. He needs to know who's for him and who's against him. And why is that a bad thing to take a census and to figure out who your fighting men are and who can protect? You need to protect your kingdom. You see, the reason it's a bad thing is because to this point in history, God has already shown that throughout history, he has shown you don't need vast numbers in your army to win a battle. He has shown these kings already. When you honor God with the way you reign, He will protect you. We've seen battles won by hundreds against thousands because of people who honored God in the way that they judged and the way that they ran their kingdoms. And here, uh, He goes out and He hires mercenaries. Now, I don't know about you, I watch a lot of movies. Hiring mercenaries, if that act doesn't say, I don't follow and serve you with my whole heart, I don't know what does. He is raised in the, in the, he knows God. He, he's already served him. He did good things, but he only did them half-heartedly. And because he did them half-heartedly, he's basically saying, I don't trust you as much as I should. And so I want to know who's all in for me. And so he counts all these guys. And by the way, if you were 20 years or older or whatever the age was, you didn't really have a choice at that point. So you were all in or you were just all dead. It didn't matter. So you could, you could fight for the king, fight for your life, and maybe live or... You just were done for. So he, he, he sets up this whole thing on fear. 
God sets it up on, honor me and I will take care of you. And so what does God do? Because he's patient, he sends in a prophet. The prophet warns Amaziah. He says, he listens to the prophet this time and he sends the mercenaries away. But the thing that we need to keep in mind about mercenaries is the old saying, mercenaries got to fight. Okay? They didn't just go away. They went away mad. That's not a good thing. But we'll get back to those guys in a second. And without the mercenaries, Amaziah was what he would call, a, he has a great victory against the Edomites. He kills 20,000 of them. Side note, I'm not sure why he felt the need to throw 10,000 men off a cliff. I don't personally think that, you know, that was the most honorable thing. But he apparently had a point to prove and had a message for the known world. And things are about to get interesting for Amaziah. We're going to come to his second war. Second Chronicles 25, verse 13. Meanwhile, the troops that Amaziah had sent back and had not allowed to take part in the war, again, they were disgruntled. <laughs> they raided towns belonging to Judah from Samaria to Bethhorn. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. Not only did they take the silver he gave them, but along the way they were kicking sand in people's faces and taking their lunch money. Verse 14, when Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down to them, burned sacrifices to them. Scripture says the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah and he sent a prophet to him who said, who do you consult these people's gods which could not save their own people from your hand? That's good stuff. While he was still speaking, though, the king said to him, Have we appointed you an advisor to the king? Ooh. (laughs) Stop. Why be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but he said one last thing, like any good prophet. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. After Amaziah, king of Judah, consulted his advisors, He sent this challenge to Jehoash, son of Jehoiaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel. Come, let us face each other in battle. See, he beat up on the Edomites. He's getting a little cocky. He thinks he's got something now. He's got a little momentum. But Jehoash, king of Israel, replied to Amaziah, the king of Judah. This is a great reply. A thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon. Give your daughter to my son in marriage. Then a wild beast in Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle underfoot. Some of you will get that about Wednesday. (laughs) You say to yourself that you have defeated Edom and now you are arrogant and proud. But stay at home. This king is giving him wise counsel. Stay at home. Why ask for trouble and cause your own downfall and that of Judah also? Amaziah, however, would not listen. For God so worked that he might deliver them into the hands of Jehoiash because they sought the gods of Edom. So Jehoiash, king of Israel, attacked. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by Israel. Routed. You never want to be routed by anybody, okay? Judah was routed by Israel and every man fled to his home. Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Amaziah, at Beth Shemesh. Then Joash brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate, a section about 400 cubits long. He told him this was going to happen. 
He said, just stay home. You don't want to battle me. Just stay where you are. You'll be okay. Even the opposing king tried to warn him. He took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom together with the palace treasures and the hostages and returned to Samaria. You see, Amaziah's second war was caused by the pride from beating the Edomites and the mercenaries that he hired. They were disgruntled ex-employees. They were on a rampage and their actions caused Amaziah to have to challenge Jehoash as well. And this challenge ends with a stunning defeat. He was routed. I love that. He was routed. Amaziah finds himself left in the remains of a pillaged Jerusalem. You see, when you've been routed, there's nothing left. And when you're serving God half-heartedly, make no mistake, you're giving Satan an opportunity to come in and rout your life however he sees fit. We're going to start back at verse 25. Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, lived for 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoiaz, king of Israel. As for the other events of Amaziah's reign, from beginning to end, they are not written in the, or excuse me, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem. At that point where he began to worship the idols of Seir, the people turned against him. Everyone began to turn against him and they conspired against him in Jerusalem. And he fled to Leches, but they sent men after him and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried with his ancestors in the city of Judah. The Bible doesn't say in detail a whole lot about Amaziah's last years, only that ultimately he was the victim of a conspiracy. What was his problem? How do you go from being a king that follows God to being the victim of a conspiracy? Well, it all started with his heart. Verse 2. He was never all in with his relationship with God. He was made king. His dad died. He was the next in line. There was always a procession. There was always a, you promised to obey God as king. and to, Oh, yeah. But he wasn't all in. He didn't serve God with his whole heart. His relationship with God, he was not all in. And I think it's a good example of what can happen to us today when we're only half-heartedly following God. Amaziah, he had flaws in his character that also added to this. And when we take a closer look at him, we're going to see maybe a reflection of ourselves. See, he lacked confidence in God. That's one of the reasons he was only half-heartedly following God. How do you know he lacked confidence in God? Because he was counting the men who could fight for him in battle. He was hiring mercenaries. How about you? Do you lack confidence in God or do you trust that God will do what he says he will do in your life? Amaziah was greedy. He suffered from greed. He was more concerned with the money he spent on mercenaries than he was with honoring God. Somebody came in and gave him wise counsel. Send these men away. You don't want to use these men. God will take this whole thing out of your hands if you use these men. And his response wasn't, oh, I want to honor God. His response wasn't, God's going to take care of this. His response was, what about my money? How about you? He also suffered from a a heart condition, if you will. I call it idolatry. You see, because idolatry starts in the heart starts with wanting what we, what we don't necessarily need or shouldn't have. And verse 14, when Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir 
He set them up as his own gods. He bowed down to them. He burned sacrifices to them. And just like he chose to worship the gods that failed the Edomites, rather than worship his God that delivered a victory to him, we do the same thing. It's easy to look at, at Amaziah and go, oh, this guy's a moron. How did he do all this? We're the same way. We reach out to the idols around us for comfort rather than reach up to God. Instead of reaching out to God, we reach for a bottle or a pill or a smoke of some kind. We seek comfort in a stranger's hand rather than in God's plan when it comes to our marriages. We sometimes want to spend more time at work than at home. And we can't do that. We can't spend more time at work than we do with our families and expect God-honoring relationships with our spouse and our kids. Amaziah had some shortcomings we can learn from, too, in his conduct in this worship of heathen gods. He defeated them. He defeated the Amazites because of God, or the Edomites because of God, and chose to worship a failed system. He refused to listen to the warnings of the prophet. He told the only person who was telling him the truth, shut up. And instead of listening to the truth, he chose to listen to ungodly counsel. How about you? When someone's speaking truth into your life, do you look at them and just shut up? You're not the boss of me. Why are you judging me? That's basically Amaziah played the king card. He pulled rank. I'm the king. Who made you my assistant? Nobody. Hush, or you'll regret it. And that's what we do. Because nobody likes accountability. It's not fun to be made accountable. The first time Amaziah was like, okay, I'll turn these guys away. I'll do, I'll do what you say. But the second time, he tells this man of God, he tells this person who on God's behalf is trying to straighten him out and put him on a better path. And instead of listening to the truth, he chose to listen to ungodly counsel. Why? Because he wasn't all in. He couldn't grasp victory with God because he was only half invested in what God would have him do. I'm so glad that we're not like Amaziah the Amazing. (laughs) He was prideful. And even when he did what was right in the eyes of God, he did not do it wholeheartedly. I think we can learn a lot about the secrets of victory from the life map of Amaziah. The dangers that came about from his detours are very evident. He had the danger of disobedience. The first time the prophet comes, he listens. The second time the prophet comes, he disobeys and he gets destroyed. He gets routed. You'll never get to the secret of victory when you're disobedient to God. Another thing that detoured Amaziah was his pride. He was evidently overwhelmed by his own success. He didn't, he didn't think he needed God's presence or God's help in his life. We get a glimpse of that because he counted the people. We get another glimpse of that because he defeats the Edomites. And then he sends, he sends a, a letter of war to a bigger nation, to another king. It's funny how many Christians treat God the same way until we need a blessing. And then we stand there with our hands out expecting a treat. Please? And then we're surprised when it doesn't happen because our pride detours us and separates us from God. When you're not all in, you can't expect God's help. Another detour in his life is what I like to call the legacy of lunacy. You're like, where did that come from? I told you, if you look at 2 Kings 14, you will see that Amaziah acted just like his father. 
It's the legacy of lunacy. You know, there are some issues here. Parents, if you're not consistent in how you raise your children in respect to your relationship with the Lord, if you're showing up at church on Sunday and disregarding God the rest of the week, your kids are going to follow what you do. That's how Amaziah ended up where he was. He did what his dad showed him to do. And, and what you say, you know, the, the problem is the inconsistency in your spiritual life. The problem with that is that your kids will either copy your example and cause you pain or they will reject you and God completely when they get older and cause you shame. It's right there in Second King or Second Chronicles with those two kings. I'm not making it up. Read it for yourself. Chapter 14, chapter 25. Lay them out and compare them together. Just like Amaziah, the amazing outward conformity eventually catches up with us. He wasn't conforming to God. He was conforming to the world. And he got routed for it. One of the secrets to victory starts with the heart. And it's crucial that our inner will and our outer actions line up. When that happens, we'll see victory. And the question you have to answer today is, are you ready to see victory in your life? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be all in for God. You see, the reality is, Amaziah wasn't really all that amazing. Truth be told, neither are we. On our own, our best life is like filthy rags. On our own, our best attempt at successful marriage, our best attempt at successful family, our best attempt at successful life has about the same chance of success as Amaziah's second battle. If you're not all in with God, as the focal point of your marriage first, and have a solid foundation of Jesus' love and mercy in your family, you can bet that your family will be routed by Satan. Parents, grandparents, it's not too late. You can decide now to leave a legacy of lunacy like Amaziah's father did, or you can make sure that you are all in with God. No more half-hearted service. No more wasting time with the idols of the fallen enemies of the Lord. I said earlier that our best life was like filthy rags without Jesus, and that's bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came. And I want to share with you the words from a song. It's one of my favorite songs. The song is actually called Destroy, and it's by a band called Worth Dying For. And I would play it for you, but it would jar some of you right out of your seats. But the lyrics are solid, and it speaks to this whole thing really well. It starts out like this. It began long ago. When darkness, through its deceit, captured the hearts of the sons and daughters of light. We looked for light, but we found only darkness. We searched for bright skies, but walked in gloom. We fumbled like the blind along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. We were destined to fall, even in the brightest of days. We stumbled as if it were dark. Among the living, we were like the dead. We looked for justice, but it never came. We looked for rescue, but it was far from us. So he himself stepped in to save us with his strong arm and his justice to sustain him. He put on righteousness as his armor, salvation as his helmet. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He slipped out of his royal garments and left eternity to enter time, divinity to wrap himself in humanity, the sea of glass for the ocean of separation. He left peace and for the first time felt pain because the very hands that held the stars were now sentenced to wear my scars. 
It was love that purchased this traitor's heart. It's what the prophets spoke about when they envisioned light living in men once again. And for this reason, I now march to the beat of a different drum. I will break through battle lines that have been drawn by discouragement and despair. What more is left to be said? Time has met its end. It's now or never. A collision with me, myself, and I. You see, my mission today is clear. To wake the dead. So let freedom's song rage. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. Last day warriors arise from yesterday's ash. And raise your fist with us. We are the army that is charging upon the land. Defeat is no longer an option. It's victory. It's victory. We stand. We rise. We give our lives. Because He has already given His for us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gave His life for you and for me. And if we, in Him, we find forgiveness. In Him, we find righteousness once again. Are you ready to live your life for Him? All in. No more half-hearted service to the King of Kings like Amaziah. Are you ready to do whatever it takes to live a life of victory? Maybe for you it is being baptized for the first time for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard about Jesus and heard about all this and you've got some questions. Maybe you'd just like to talk and pray with someone about the changes you need to make to live your life in victory. Our elders are here. They'd love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been. But I know that in Christ, our righteousness is brought back. Our victory is attainable. And you're not alone. You're not abandoned. Whatever your response is today, will you stand and sing with us and Respond to God's word accordingly. It's been great to worship with you all this morning and to be here with you and to to share with you one of the secrets of victory. We need to be all in, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And when things get tough, we need to remember about Amaziah the Amazing and then do exactly the opposite of what he did. Don't cling to the idols and the crutches that our world offers. Cling to Christ. As you go this week, go knowing that no matter what's going on in your life, you are not abandoned, you are not alone. Christ has gone before you. And in the aftermath of forgiveness, He has already secured victory for us. All we have to do is go and live out our lives in a reflection of Him and in celebration of that victory. Will you sing this last song with us?